0: Welcome to another episode of the Arcananth podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Rivera. Welcome to another episode with an expert in archaeology and anthropology. Today we have Maddie Harris on the show. Maddie, are you there? Yep. Hi. How are you?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. Uh, Where are you calling in from today, Maddie?
1: I'm calling in from Melbourne, Australia.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, very far away from where I am in the Netherlands.
1: <laughs> yeah. Too far away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is it like a, a good time of the year, um, you know, around like December or January time?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it gets warm and everyone's going to the beach. So we have a very
0: strange Christmas, but mm-hmm. it's, um,
1: it's a good time of year.
0: <laughs> yeah. So can you give the listeners a bit of like introduction as to who you are and what you've been working on recently?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I am uh, just uh, confirmed into my first full year of my PhD. Um, I work on Philistine archaeology. So it's situated um, modern day Israel in the Southern Levant area. Mm -hmm. Um, And my focus is on the ritual architecture Um, of of the Philistine um, peoples. So it dates from 1200 BCE to around 600 BCE. Mm -hmm. And I'm essentially gathering data and trying to work out what was happening, what they were doing, what we can learn from legacy data, Mm -hmm. um, which is data that's um, that's old and has essentially just been lying in storerooms for a while and hasn't really been touched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's essentially it. I just get to Uh, bury through archives and um, get to go on excavation every now and then, which is always fun.
0: Yeah, that's really exciting. And in terms of like the Philistines is actually like a – a part of the world and a part of time that I am not too familiar with um, myself. Uh, oh, what, cool. Yeah, well, why would you? What would you say is the important aspects of like why this is an interesting time and an interesting place to look at in terms of research?
1: So the Philistines um, they came they came at a, came to southern Israel at a time that was really tumultuous. So the late Bronze Age collapse that happened around eleven seventy seven BCE meant that all the, um, uh, the Mediterranean basin, um, you've got Anatolia, Crete, Cyprus, and um, Italy, you've got all these people who are being displaced because of a multitude of factors. There was climate change, wars, you've got palaces uh, falling apart, you've got communities completely you know, dissipating. Um, mm-hmm. And through that, the Philistines came to be. So they're, currently, they're being looked at as uh, pirates. So my advisor is actually at the forefront of that, and she um, writes about philistine pirates and how they took to the seas and mm-hmm. um, became uh, you know very mercenary in their actions and eventually ended up settling um, in the southern Levant after they were um, kicked out um, kicked out of egypt
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, which is depicted depicted uh, on the medinet harbor reliefs um, uh, which was around the 1200 BC mark as well. So it's mm-hmm. it's interesting because they were uh, they're essentially migrants. So you know they came from all over all over um, uh, you know that area of the world, and you've got this really mixed bag of um, of people who are bringing um, all these different aspects of Cypriot culture, of um, you know parts of the Sardinian culture, um, Anatolian bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that whole mix. Uh, they, so they essentially settled, um, but they were they were a very mixed group. And it's, it's only really come to the forefront uh, in the past 10 years or so, how mixed they were. Um, And then they didn't just come from one place. So it's, uh, it's an interesting field because it's, it's relatively new, which is nice in comparison to a lot of, a lot of other studies in that, in that area.
0: In the past 10 years, you say?
1: Yes. Yeah. So the past 10 years, um, my advisor, Louise Hitchcock and uh, the director of the Telesafi Garth excavations, uh, Dr. Aaron Meyer. He, uh, they um, worked on a lot of articles, um, a lot of research, looking at the, um, the the different um, origins of the Philistines and these kind of multifaceted cultural aspects um you mm-hmm. know of their pottery of their architecture of, of a variety of of you know material culture remains mm-hmm. and it's it's a it's yeah in the past 10 years they've just really gone gung-ho and mm-hmm. and pushed you know push for this new new hypothesis, and it's um it's been widely widely appreciated <laughs> yeah i think um yeah mm-hmm. and, that, and that's what sparked me to continue continue my research in a more nuanced area you know uh, working on on the basis that they've
0: provided Mm -hmm. That's amazing and really fascinating. And when you first were exposed or, um, you know, educated about the Philistines, did you Mm -hmm. get exposed to this through lectures or were you, um, you know, did you go to an excavation?
1: So I, um, I got to excavate at a Philistine site in my first year of university, which was incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. I originally wanted to be an Egyptologist um, because I saw the movie The Mummy and thought instantly, you know, I need, <laughs> I need to reenact this in my life. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um,
1: but you wanna I want to find the
0: Book of the Dead and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kill Imhotep.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I had my I had my goals set straight and which <laughs> I was, I, was <laughs> I didn't think I'd end up uh, end up in um, Israel Palestine but mm-hmm. it was yeah, it was um, it was quite the turn. Um I I did a class um uh called uh, Egypt and Mesopotamia in my first year of university and they were talking about this dig that they had running and I thought, you know what? If I want to be an archaeologist, I have to, you know, do field work even if it's in a place that is probably not my area of interest. Yeah. So I applied for the field school. Um, you know, I went I went to Israel Palestine, um, you know, as a as an eighteen year old mm-hmm. um, you know, baby archaeologist and I got to dig for two weeks there and I haven't looked back ever since <laughs> they converted me to the Philistines.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like what was that experience like? Like do you remember where um, were you like half excited, half scared. Like, what was the feeling like?
1: Oh, it was it was pretty terrifying. I I didn't know what to expect. Um, and of course, you know, you have this idea of this old world profession where it's um, you know you got to have to be really macho and you have to be really strong and be ready to move move you know rocks and dirt for days on end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also had a very romanticized view as well. Um, so I I think I was a little bit shocked when I actually got there and the the first three days of work. Was was cleaning and weeding, um, you know, which I do in my backyard with my dad. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was um, it was it was quite a shock. Um, but you know, you soon realise that that's a, it's a site that's only excavated four weeks of a year. So of course, nature's going to take over in between. Mm-hmm. Um, But it was a a really, it was a fantastic learning curve.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, I was reading a little bit about your overall field experience and Mm -hmm. like, how do you think your, I don't know, like your, your, your learning or like your competency, your feelings about field work have developed uh, now that you've done it a couple of times?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I it's definitely changed a lot. I've, um, it's, it's been a whirlwind of, um, of excavations. I, I've been trying, oh, I've tried to branch out as, as much as possible and, you know, try and find uh, an excavation that, you know, works for me on a on a level of interest and also on the level of the team because that's the team is the most important part. Um, and I've, I've been mm-hmm. privileged to meet the most brilliant people, um, in the field, but I, I definitely think that it you you become you become very hardened. I think after after your third or fourth <laughs> dig, you're, you know you're mm-hmm. ready you're ready to get in there with a the pickaxe and um, you know yell at anyone who tells you otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it was you know it's um, it's been it's been really interesting. I've I've enjoyed working with um, you know with the university. Um faculty from greece and um from israel and from um the u s so a lot of the digs uh, are, are based in um in a us us field program so they're you know their directors are all from us universities yeah. um, which has been great i mean it's the more digs the more digs that i've been going on the more the more amazing connections i've made um but i think mm-hmm. i think definitely as i've as i've gone from dig to dig it's um it's it's, it's all it's all gotten a lot more fun because you you kind of know where you stand and what your abilities are and um but mm-hmm. it's you know you kind of envy the people who get to stay on a dig for 10 years straight because they have the funding so <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: I know. Like earlier, you mentioned that you that you're most you're you're one of the things that you're most interested about is uh, about you know ancient buildings and sort of how people used to occupy their space and make use of the space around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what drew you to l- looking at this particular question mm-hmm. um, as opposed to maybe what some of the other experts on site were were interested in? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, in my, uh, it it kind of, it came about very organically, I think I, um, because I was originally interested in, in the Philistines and what was happening in the Southern Levant, uh, during that time period, I, I got sucked into the pottery, the pottery, um, Area for a while, and then realized Mm -hmm. that it's you know it's almost a little bit oversaturated. There's only so many ceramicists you can have, you know, saying the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I, uh, for my honors thesis, was which is equivalent um, equivalent of a master's here in Australia. uh, I, I kind of came to the realization that a lot of the buildings were recorded, but they weren't um they weren't looked into very deeply. so they were recorded, and then a journal article came out with maybe one comparison um, and a very um, a very pinpointed view of of what the building was used for um, without really taking into consideration the entire environment um, and everything that was kind of known at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is, you know, a journal article is never going to be able to cover more than that. Um, but I, the more I was digging and the more I was looking through um, archives, the more, you know, books I consulted, the more people I tried to get in contact with, I realized that no one had actually um, gathered together all that we understand, and um we we think we know about mm. Philistine ritual um and cults mm. uh architecture and areas and the way they were used, especially in terms of a more um, uh, uh, archaeology of the senses uh, arrangement. So, you know, when you look at, when you when you walk into a space, what does it smell like? What is, you know, what were the senses that were happening at that time? Um, where a lot of that was right. happening um, in the studies uh, in ancient Greece. So, you know, you've got, um, you know, my, uh, all the Minoan and Mycenaean palaces and these studies had already had already occurred and it was almost like old hat, uh, you know, to, to look at it in, a, in that way for, the ancient Greek structures, um, but mm-hmm. for the for the Philistines and for a lot of. Um, cult and ritual places in um in that area so like the israelite and the canaanite um groups it's it, they were looked at in a completely different light so i, I saw this gap in scholarship um and mm-hmm. i and i just went for it so <laughs> i just haven't looked back since i'm just trying to apply yeah. as much as i can and you know see <laughs> if there's a one-size-fits-all approach or whether it's going to need you know very meticulous adjustments um but it's um it's been it's been super interesting uh it's i every time i you know every time i finish a uh, weeks of research i think oh
0: my god i have
1: 10,000 more questions
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. right but well, that's really interesting and i think like Uh, You're right. Like when we, we, you know, typically like I work with um, human skeletons to reconstruct their life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, biological questions about what they were eating, um, you know, there's still some limitations, but Mm -hmm. those are pretty tangible. And I think that Mm -hmm. like when it comes to um, like the sensory experience, that is really interesting and a little Mm -hmm. bit more kind of like blurred in in history Mm -hmm. because you can't really... Mm -hmm. uh, ask them. You can't really measure that, but you can, you can try, you can really try, uh, by understanding the architecture and how things are set Mm up, uh, in these buildings. What was the prevailing view? So you mentioned that there was like sort of, you know, a couple of, there was a few scholar scholars who were trying to make sense of this, but, um, what was that prevailing view and and, and how did it not really fit some of the things that you were seeing once, Mm -hmm. once you were looking at add it in more detail.
1: I, the biggest thing for me that when I was, when I started looking into it a lot more, I realized that, um, with a lot of the, um, Israelite Canaanite and Philistine, um, areas of study, people didn't really take into consideration, um, you know, the, the connection between cult and real life. So the separation between religion and everyday life for, you know, the ancient peoples Mm -hmm. wasn't, Um, wasn't distinct. There wasn't, um, there wasn't that line in the sand where, you know, I'm going to go to church on a Sunday morning because that's what my mom wants me to do, you know, kind of thing. It wasn't, there wasn't that clean divide. It was just part of their everyday life. Um, and it, it permeated, uh, you know, every part and every aspect of their life. So I started approaching journal articles and comparative studies, um, with with you know that that kind of lens on um and realizing that a lot of the previous studies had looked at it as if cult was some kind of otherness that we will never really understand because we don't have that connection with these past people
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but in you know in reality it's you know they were human, and we can we can apply the same um, the same outlook, you know, if, if there was a house and there was, you know, a a broken pot on the floor and, you know, it might've been an area of feasting and there was, you know, some, um, you know, some example some uh, remains of ash and some animal bones, you know, it's not, it's, it's not some crazy cultic ritual, you know, where they've sacrificed, you know, whatever they've eaten to, you know, 10 gods in the sky, mm-hmm. but it, you know, there's all the chance that it, you know, that it could be, and that was part of the process, but there's, there's another way to look at it without creating, um, you know, that, that temporal divide between the archaeologist. um, or the uh, researcher and the and the, the group of people, mm-hmm. um, because you know they were probably just enjoying a meal, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the pots can be broken for, for all kinds of reasons. You know it could it could have been an accident, but also it could have been um, you know a ritual a ritual breakage of some kind. You know, just like there's, there are rituals in today's day and age, where you know the, the ritual breaking of ceramics can signify a wedding, can signify a change, you know, in in um, someone's life, or mm-hmm. you know, like you know, things like that. And there's there's really not that that temporal divide doesn't need to be widened. I think you know, we, it's a, it's hard enough that we are um, you know we're digging up the past and they can't tell us anything mm-hmm. about what we're what we're digging. You know, we don't need to make it as if it's some alien. Um, you know, concept, and I think the word cult kind of lends itself to that. So I, um, I argue in my in my thesis that maybe we should um, move away from you know using the word cult simply because in twenty first century you've got all these ridiculous kind of things coming up and it's mm-hmm. the connotations are just, you know, they're negative rather than anything else, especially for the general public. Like if you, if you want to, if you want to reach out and you want people to understand what you're, what you're excavating, you know, if you say the word cult, people, people freak out, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a term that, um, that people think, Oh wow. You know, that's super interesting. It, it's, it's um, got completely different connotations to someone you know, he's not an archaeologist and not an anthropologist, so I think that's um that's really important as
0: well. Yeah, I mean, and it also kind of connotates that you know it's extreme and it's it's extraordinary when mm-hmm. it could have just been very everyday and very regular uh, for them. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. And so when so when you're looking at other people's interpretations in the past, or maybe even when you're out in the field, uh, I'm curious to know like what are you looking out for, and how do you how do you check yourself that you're not making some of the same assumptions before and telling some of the same stories that others have told?
1: Mm. It's, it's proven to be quite difficult in practice. I, um, I, when I worked on a site um, at Tel Arco um, in 2018, um, it was a, it was a site with, with so many layers of occupation and the area that I was working in um, dated to around 800 uh, BC and it's, The excavator that had excavated in, um, I think it was the 70s or the 80s. I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, uh, Moshe Dotan was the the man who excavated the site originally, and he, you know, he saw this this cultic area, and he essentially concreted it in certain ways to make it look like it was, you know, some bigger room than it was. It didn't actually match the archaeology, and in essence, he destroyed the area. And my the area that I was working in that year. I had to re excavate the, the mess that he had left because the whole site was backfilled. Right. Um, and I, I found that to be quite difficult because you, you know, you, you automatically think it's an area of cult and ritual importance, which it may well have been. Um, but it's, it's really difficult to to take yourself away from that, um, mm-hmm. preconceived notion. Um, it, because even though you know that it's not the case, um, I found that it was really, it was really, really challenging. Um, but I guess that was a that was a one off um, kind of strange example because it was a. Um, you know, excavating the backfill and then continuing the excavation down. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really, really difficult. It takes a lot of, I think, introspection when you're digging and it it can get really, um, you know, manic when uh, excavations are going on, especially when you've got students who have never used, Mm -hmm. um, you know, any of the tools before um, or, you know, they don't understand or they're too hot or they're, you know, they're uncomfortable and then you're trying to excavate this area, um, you know, whilst you're trying to manage a team, whilst you're trying to, um, you know, make sure that everything's working the way it should. Um, it's yeah. yeah, it's you need to take a moment to breathe, step back, and then I think re- reassess um, what's in front of you because it can so quickly just you know, disappear, and you know you won't get to mm. won't get to see it in the same in the same light much ever again so
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I think it's a lot of self-control for me personally anyway <laughs> lots of um you know taking yeah. a deep breath and, and you know <laughs> stepping back yeah
0: I mean you you yourself are also like you know hot and uncomfortable mm-hmm. sometimes exactly. and you, you miss home and, mm-hmm. and you know you're going through it too. Mm-hmm. exactly In a more experienced like supervisory role you kind of yeah you kind of have to manage your own and then everybody else while also concentrating on the work mm-hmm mm-hmm Exactly. Yeah, when it when it comes to the Philistines, I was wondering, um, is it like an exciting time now? Like, are there many colleagues who are looking uh, at the Philistines, and, and what other questions are are people asking?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, definitely a very exciting time. I'm I I'm very I'm grateful to have entered the field at the time time that I have. It's um it's great because my advisor is she like she's a, at the peak point of um of her kind of Philistine career. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's fantastic. There's, uh, there's people publishing on all kinds of things and you've got um, these uh, studies, which are, you know, uh, a synthesis of the figurines of the um, ceramics. Um, and you've got all this, all this work on the sites that were previously excavated in the eighties, um, which is very interesting. Um, but at the same time, it's, a lot of people and a lot of the scholars are really focused on um, the sites that were excavated well um, and the sites that, you know, have a lot of data in one area. So automatically they're drawn towards, you know, the sites with all the answers essentially, you know, the answers that the archaeologists will look for. Um, but the, the older ones have, have gone under the radar. So the, the Philistine Pentapolis is essentially five, um, five, uh, five places. So you've got Ashdod, um, Mekne Ekron, Tel Asafi, Gath, um, Gaza and, oh my goodness, I can't remember the last, Ashkelon, Ashkelon. <laughs> and, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah,
1: and, um, the, they, they were all excavated at different times. Um, Gaza has not been excavated at all. Um, but they were, all the other ones were excavated at separate times. Um, and Asafi, Gath was, uh, has been excavated for the past 20 years and has been excavated to a very high standard. So well, there's been a um, kind of an oversaturation of work on certain sites and certain buildings in certain sites. Um, mm-hmm. And and there are a lot of areas that are missing. That um, you know that that intense study that that um, you know synthesis of. Um, of data and comparative analysis, you know, looking at the interregional connections and, you know, all that fun stuff that we as archaeologists get to do with with right. the data. Um, but it's it's a it's a it's a fantastic time to be in the field. Um, you know, there's every every Near Eastern conference. Um, there's a few papers on the Philistines and um, the people mm-hmm. who, who have um, published their PhDs uh, recently are really kind of, um, you know, making their way to the the top of um, scholarship. And it's, it's, um it's fantastic. It's really, I find it to be quite an, quite an empowering time. It's, um, it's, yeah. it's awesome to see it, to see it all kind of coming coming to the surface and all these different ideas and dialogue happening. Cause it's, um, I mean, you know, that's, that's what, what we all got into archaeology for, you know, to have these discussions and yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you have um a lot of uh, local archaeologists as well that you have uh, collaborated with? Like when, when you're out on site, uh, are there like local guides and uh, translators, or I don't know, people just helping you out that kind of stuff? Yeah.
1: Yeah. We the a lot of the excavations have um you know a lot of a lot of the locals uh, getting involved, um, and it's been really fantastic. the The most recent excavation I, I worked on in June July was with the Jezreel Valley Regional Project. And uh, the directors really pushed for an, um, mm-hmm. an engagement uh, group, which meant that we had uh, Israeli school children coming and helping us dig. Um, we had, you know, local uh, groups, um, you know, for all, from high schools to, you know, religious groups to, you know, people who just wanted to visit and, you know, check out what was happening down the road. And it's it was it, we had a lot of community engagement, especially especially in um, the the Jezreel Valley area. It's it's really it's fantastic, actually, the level of level of engagement and the level of um, connections that we have with the people who you know live around the corner um, from the site, and also the you know the school children who you know just want to try their hand at a, at digging for the day. Um, so it's, um, it's, yeah, it's great.
0: Mm-hmm. So being out in the field, who, who are your favorite kinds of people to work with while you're, um, at, you know, working as an archaeologist in a big team?
1: Um, oh, my favorite kind of people. Um, I love working um, with students who are on their first excavation. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply because they're just, they're ready to do absolutely anything. And, and like, it's just, it's, it's brilliant They They've, you know, they're putting their best foot forward and they're really trying really, really hard. Um, and they've got that sparkle in their eyes. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it's they're ready to find, ready to find all the gold. And it's, um it's really, it's, it's really uh, sobering. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really, I, I've enjoyed working um, with, with people who volunteer, um, on excavations who don't actually have archeology span as a background, I find that their insight is, um, is really incredible. I, you know, you've got, you've got people who, you know, work in history or people who aren't even in university, um, you know, volunteering for an excavation just because they, they've always Mm -hmm. wanted to. Um, and having that, that non, um, non archeologist, non anthropologist, um, approach is really, is really refreshing. And I think it's, um, it's it's much needed, i think every excavation should have a few outsiders yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> joining mm-hmm. in and it's uh it's yeah it's been fantastic um you know of course i love working with you know profess my professors and directors um you know they're brilliant uh but it's it's um i think it's a it's a treat to get someone who is from a completely different area um who comes in with a new a, a completely uh a foreign set of um mm-hmm. uh not so much values but just kind of an, like an outlook that that we wouldn't we wouldn't ever you know, consider because we're so stuck in our archaeological right. bubble.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you mentioned at the very beginning um, when it came to like your first fieldwork experience, you went there as an 18 year old and you were feeling like uh, you know it was gonna be really scary because mm-hmm. there might have been like an expectation that you were gonna have to be really tough and you're gonna have to mm-hmm. kind of almost be you know emotionless mm-hmm. and you're going to <laughs> I don't know like uh, toil like day after day mm-hmm. do you think that that is uh, still a very real perception for students um
1: I think I think it's definitely it's definitely still very real um it's. I, yeah, it's it's an, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting topic because I think, you know, on one hand, excavation, um, you know, it shouldn't be a walk in the park and there should be a little bit of, um, you know, a natural kind of, um, not, not anxiety, but, um, you know, the excitement, the, the anxiety that comes with excitement, you know, trying mm-hmm. something new, traveling to
0: a new country. Meaningful yeah. mm-hmm. work. Kind of comes from you know having felt like you have uh, put in effort and you have you have earned the results yes, a little yeah, bit.
1: exactly, exactly. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's um, you know when when excavation groups and and directors and supervisors, you know, all the way down to um, you know square supervisors, you know, when when they really focus on that meaningful work side of things, it turns that anxiety into something um, really beneficial. Um, and I think, you know, Mm -hmm. it's that, that feeling, you know, as a student going on your first first or second or third excavation, you know, I'm being terrified, you know, I still get scared when I, you know, started a new site because, you know, you've got to meet all these new people, you have to try and make a name for yourself. Um, you know, I think that's, it's completely natural, but the, the way that the the people that you work with, um, uh, engage with you in, in regards to that is, is really detrimental as to whether or not you have a fulfilling time and, uh, um, you know, you feel like you've gotten what you what you wanted to get out of the excavation. You know, you you know, you had that archaeological mm-hmm. experience where you really got to you know unearth three thousand year old artifacts, and it felt amazing. You know, it's it's you, there is there is a certain level of romanticism that I think needs to be held on held onto because that's what you know <laughs> it's kind of the what lies in you know the roots of discovering you know the the, the ancient past really.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do do you think that like uh, archaeologists today, um, at least the ones that you've worked with, uh, largely view it that way? Do you think that that's a universal belief that it should be positive in that way?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think a lot of a lot of people um, do have this outlook. It's 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 incredible how many you know amazing uh, field directors there are out there, and um, you know people who really try and get the you know make the experience the, the best possibly can for all students and all staff. Um, and you know I've had fantastic experiences um, digging. Um, you know they they're different every time, but they're great it's, you know, it all makes you kind of the Mm -hmm. person that you are and you work out the kind of leadership style that you want to emulate and that you want to be when you're, um, when you become a supervisor or you, and you move into that supervisory role. Um, but I, I think Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a, it's a slow change. Um, you know, that, that move that moves from, um, you know, really pushing for that in a, in a field environment. I think it's, um i think it's a little bit um at the moment it's we're at a we're at a turning point um just in in society in general you know with workplace um uh workplace uh kind of mental health and you know all these all these sorts of things coming up you know you can take a mental health day and all all this stuff that wasn't around 10 years ago um you know or even even a little mm-hmm. bit less in in certain areas and i think that turning point is um is really working in in um in everyone's favor. So I, and you know, it ties in well with the, um, the poster that I presented, um, at, uh, the, at ASOR conference last month. Um, so it, yeah, yeah. it's, um, it's, uh, it's, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely very important and it's, we're definitely at a turning point
0: uh, mm-hmm. for it. Yeah. Cause I think that a lot of people, uh, in the field, uh, they, they can suffer from, um, you know, burnout basically like when they go out into the field if they don't take care of themselves or other people aren't looking out for them as well Mm -hmm. and so yeah it is really important that we all uh try and have open dialogue about this and we Mm -hmm. exactly um, try and develop you know not procedures, but kind of have different like little habits or routines which are focused on being like a safe and positive environment and one that sort of fosters people's uh, care for one another while out there because you're all kind of far away from home altogether under extreme conditions and you know you only have each other you only have your team
1: mm-hmm. exactly exactly and it's you know it's you know it's only four weeks or six weeks in in the long run um and it's you know why not make it a, an awesome experience that you know you'll be able to remember for mm-hmm. you know for the rest of your life you know digging is digging is um a crazy time you know where everyone kind of learns the type of person they are <laughs> you know how you go with rooming with you know yeah. six six people in one very small room and <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty life changing mm-hmm. i think
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say is like the most challenging part about uh, everything that you you do, like either you know back at the university doing research or like out there in the field? What do you find the toughest part of your job?
1: Um, I think I find the toughest part the traveling from Australia. I you know I love traveling and I I head off to the Middle East and to America you know like twice a year, mm-hmm. but it's the travel is just. It kills me, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> 24 to 36 hours of flying, um, is, is rough. Um, especially, you know, when, when you've got crazy stopovers. Um, but I guess when I'm on a more, um, uh, on a more emotional level, it's definitely difficult leaving, uh, leaving family, and you know having to relocate. If you're going for a long time, you know having to move out of a, a you know a place that you've been renting and you've called home for the past twelve months. Yeah. And you know if you're if you're packing up and going for three months, of course you're not going to pay rent while you're away. So yeah. um, I think it uh, you know trying to maintain that sense of self, sense of home, um, you know maintain the relationships that you have and um, you know, back in, in Australia and, you know, your home, it's, it's, uh, that's proven to be probably the most, the most emotionally difficult, I think. Um, but you know, it's, I think it's definitely
0: worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, how do you face those challenges? Like how do you get, get through that time when, when you're feeling like a little bit like this traveling is a little bit much or when, when the job is also just challenging emotionally?
1: Um, I definitely turn to people. I, um, I've made the most brilliant friends because I've, you know, been having a really bad time and just, um, essentially just, you know, spilt my heart out to them because, you know, you're in a, another country and you're, you know, trying to work out, you know, which way's up. Um, but I definitely, definitely rely on, on my, um, you know, on my team, on my, um, you know, the friends that I've made in the field. Um, and you know, Facebook's a wonderful thing as well. You get to message, um, people mm-hmm. back at home, which is mm-hmm. nice. Um, but I definitely think, you know, having that good, strong, um, team and, you know, getting along with your roommates and just, you know, having that, that kind of open door policy. I feel I try and do that with the, with, um, the people that I work with in the field. Um, and I feel like a lot of the people that I've worked with, um, you know, have that same approach. You know, I can, you know, I can talk to, you know, my Mm -hmm. directors or, you know, my supervisor, my area supervisors or, you know, um, you know, my friends who have come on excavation, um,
0: from Australia as well. It's, it's, um, mm-hmm. definitely talking is, is, is fantastic. Um, helps yeah. all the time. So as we're recording this, it is end of 2019, beginning of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the new year? Oh,
1: I'm looking forward to getting some writing done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm hopefully traveling again. So I, I um, think I might be heading back to Israel-Palestine and um, getting to do some digging and some research, which would be fantastic. Cool. Um, and I'm uh, also looking at uh, expanding uh, the side project of the Positive Psychology in archaeological fieldwork, so trying to push that forward with some with some other colleagues at Melbourne, and um, try and uh, try and um, you know work out how we're going to how we're going to take this to the next level and um, really disseminate uh, what you know our findings from Mm -hmm. the past year. So it's Mm -hmm. super exciting, and um, fingers crossed, it (laughs) it all goes as well as planned. Yeah, but yeah,
0: yeah, that's really good. Uh, Where can people follow uh, your work going forward? Uh, and all of this exciting stuff that you're doing?
1: Oh, so um, I've got Twitter. Um, I, my Twitter handle is uh, vintage RK. Um And I've also got an Instagram, uh, which is Vintage underscore Archaeology. Cool. Um, and that's where I, yeah, that's where I pretty much post all all my research
0: and Mm -hmm. um and fun stuff
1: (laughs) all the interesting (laughs) archaeology things
0: (laughs) um and before we go i usually ask every guest for a hashtag can you come up with a good one for this episode (laughs) you know something we've talked about something that is funny something that you care about Mm -hmm.
1: i'm trying to think whether i should go down the ritual route or whether i should go down the um (laughs) the, the positive psych route um Actually, I'm going to go with ritual. So really hashtag uh, keep calm, it's ritual. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah. Hashtag keep calm, it's ritual. Okay. Well, listeners, yeah. if you like this episode, then definitely let Maddie and I know on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Pod. You can also follow the podcast on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you find podcasts so that you can always get the latest episodes. Thank you so much to the patrons who keep the show going um we couldn't do it without you and you're the reason that this show even exists if you also want to become a patron and you aren't one yet then go to patreon.com slash pod and you can find out how you can do that all of that information and more information about maddie's work can be found at arcananth.com maddie thank you so much for being today's Expert. Oh,
1: thank you so much for having me. It was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I um, I hope I was. <laughs> I hope I <I've laughs> said some interesting things.
0: It was really interesting. Like I, I was fascinated the whole time, and uh, I am really excited to see what happens in the next year.
1: Lovely. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, um, and hopefully you can come back on the show. Uh, maybe like once you have uh, done some more writing and uh, been out in the field a couple more times. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds fantastic, listeners. I'll have another episode out for you soon. Goodbye. Bye,
2: guys. <laughs>